This is One in 36, a presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism, celebrating their centennial in 2024. One in 36 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 36, the weekly podcast on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I am speaking with Jen Caserta Priori, an Anderson parent and all around good human being, somebody that I am uh, really honored and thrilled to know. We're going to have a great conversation this morning about her experiences uh, with Anderson, with the Anderson team members, um, as a mom of one of our residents in our children's program. Jen, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. You're an all around good human being too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. We spot each other well, like, you know, from miles away. Um, so Jen, you know, you and I met many years ago, maybe not many years ago, but several years ago when uh, Drew joined us. And ever since then, um, you've always struck me as somebody who just, you connect with pe- with people and, and your, your story, your experience, you and your husband's experience um, in making the initial decision to uh, apply for, for Anderson, for Drew, and then also decide to accept the placement. There's so much that I, I would love for you to share with our listeners, so many of whom are either other Anderson families or perhaps families who are thinking about Anderson or a residential placement for their child. Um, so I'd like to start with just asking you to talk a little bit about who you are, um, how long you've been an Anderson parent, anything you'd like to share about Drew or the other members of your family would be great. Sure. Um, so uh, there's four of us in the immediate family. There's myself, my husband, Anthony, um, Drew or Andrew, I call him Drew, uh, who is the um, the resident at Anderson and my older son, Dean, who will be 16 in August. And um, yeah, I mean, it has been quite a journey. Uh, Drew is uh, 12. He turned 12 this past spring. And uh, he's been at Anderson now since uh, May 16th, 2018. I remember the day very clearly. Um, So he just had his um, three-year anniversary there, which I can't believe it's actually, I'm actually saying that it's been three years, is it right? It has flown by. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, Drew was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder um, pretty early on. Uh, I would say uh, at around 18 months, we started to see signs. It's when he was put in intensive therapy. By two years, uh, got an even better understanding of what his challenges were. And then by uh, the ages of three and four really saw mm-hmm. the impact. Um, and he's nonverbal primarily. He has some single words, um, but very, very difficult for him to express his needs, wants, desires. Um, uh, I'm amazed to see how much he's grown in the past three years, quite, quite mm-hmm. honestly, in the support that he's been given at Anderson. But uh, leading up to that point, um, we love our children more than anything. And I, all I wanted to do was provide him with anything and everything I possibly could to make things easier for him um, and give him the support he needed. But it was um, it was a really difficult time. It's a really difficult thing to navigate when you have a, a child, a family member with autism. It affects everyone, not just them. And all I want, once I realized they're you know, the realities of the situation was to him for him to have the best life possible, right? The best, the best of his abilities, the most respect he can gain, um, knowing that his path was going to be one that um, I certainly didn't foresee when we were planning to have kids. So 
Thank you for that background. Um, I remember the first time you and I met and we talked a lot about um, the, the intricacies of those decisions and sort of, I would assume that every, uh, every detail part of the decision felt like the weight of the world. And then on top of that, the sort of big final, you know, are we going to do this or not is, is the culmination, but also just, um, you know, comes with it so many things. Um, and, and one of the things that, that always occurs to me when I speak to Anderson families, um, or really any, any parent uh, with a child with autism, especially those who are considering having their child live outside of their home, um, is just, it strikes me that, that there's that sort of right in front of your face, that decision of how am I going to stay feeling really connected and involved with the life of my child and his future, um, while also allowing him to receive and respond to the professional expertise and interventions that is the sort of the reason why I'm hoping that this is a successful transition and a successful decision. Um, So, so let's move into that because I, because I think that you have a really um, unique approach to figuring that out and I'm not diminishing how hard it must be and continue to be, but what was your approach when it came to, you know, staying so connected, but also responding, respecting and responding to the fact that ideally these people who are now going to be working with Drew and caring for Drew when they're, he's not with you have something positive to offer him. Yeah. Um, it was the hardest decision we ever had to make. Um, I think that goes without saying Mm -hmm. I knew after we met and I knew when I visited Anderson for the first time, and I visited a couple of times because you really, I mean, it's, it's baby steps getting comfortable, even if you know in your heart and in your gut that this is the right decision, right? Emotionally, you have to get there. Mm -hmm. And um, even though I was so impressed by what Anderson had to offer very early on, when I first stepped foot on the campus, when I first spoke with you and Patrick, I, I needed to get to, the, to that decision on my own. And it was, it was very difficult. Drew was very young. He was eight years old. Yeah. I couldn't even fathom him not being with me all of the time. On the other hand, I couldn't wrap my head around how we were going to continue to give him everything that he needed in right. a traditional classroom setting for special needs children. It just, the reality was it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough support. It wasn't enough consistency And when he was home, he wasn't getting what he needed, Mm -hmm. um, even though that was our primary focus. So, you know, the first thing I had to do was really compartmentalize and um, which often is what we do as parents with children with disability, because you have to you have to your emotions are always there and it's deep down and, and you only want what's best for your child. But you have to get somewhat practical about things as you as you plan and figure things out. So we did make that very difficult decision. Um, because we knew that essentially it would mean a better quality of life and tremendous support. And Drew actually could have great opportunity to thrive in ways that we couldn't have imagined mm-hmm. if you were not um, in this program. And, and while he was fortunate enough to be accepted, you know, I had to get comfortable with where he was going. I knew from what I saw, it was a wonderful place, but I had to get really comfortable with what this all looked like. First of all, you were all very open and transparent about how parents play a very active role. You are not just um, abandoning your parental responsibilities or your emotional ties to your to your children. Uh, you are very much involved with every aspect of their lives, which meant the world to me. And I thought 
uh, and, and very open about it again, you know, and I, I just thought, well, communication, this, this is an organization that seems to be very grounded in how they communicate and their openness with families and family matters to them. So the way I needed to approach it in order to get myself comfortable and through it was to say, well, then I'm going to make sure that I'm doing everything. So I have really clear, direct lines of communication with everybody there at the school. Mm-hmm. And, um, I want to be open and I want to be honest. And, um, you know, that was really my approach in all of this. Uh, I want to be as transparent as possible. And I, I don't think I ever shied away from letting you all know how, how difficult it was emotionally, but how much I believed in what it is that you had to offer for him. Thank you for that. Um, I think, yeah, I, that, that is what comes to mind when I recall those early days as well, that, um, you know, I think coming coming to the sort of recognition um, that there is something else that, that might help your child that is not being able to be provided in a day school setting, maybe a typical special needs classroom. But I think that the, the thing that really probably is the most emotionally challenging for families is is the home piece. Right. Yeah, um, they're not with you every day. They're, right. You know, and and there's there's limitations. I think this is what I hear from many families is that, you know, um, it's it's <laughs> this might make me cry a little bit. But I mean, sometimes the idea that that loving that the love that a family has is not um, is not necessarily going to be that piece that that sort of fills that la- that gap when it yeah. comes to um, quality of life. And but what I mean by quality of life is the, is the level of independence that so many families kind of reach at whatever point they reach it, where it's like, I want my child to have more independence. You said before, Jen, uh, something about you wanted Drew to be able to gain as much respect as yeah. he possibly could. And I, I have not heard that phrase that way from somebody else. Um, so just if you could, can you can you expand on that a little bit? I mean, yeah. what does that mean to you? Is that is that a, a community thing? Is that a is that a family it, member? It's thing? an everything thing. It's a no matter where he is in our family, our extended family, society, school, the community out in the world that people view him as as a as a as a human who has contributions and he has contributions in his own way and um, a respect for uh, the challenges that he has and an ability to show compassion and kindness to people with those types of challenges. And I think he was living, I know he was living a very, very sheltered existence under me because I was his mom, Anthony's his dad, Dean's his big brother. And all we wanted to do was protect him. And all we wanted to do was fix it ourselves. And it was a bigger, it was just a bigger situation than anything that we could do. And if he was going to have any kind of independence and be able to get out in the community and walk into a store and then, you know, buy the ingredients to then go back to a home and make the smoothie, like, you know, it's just, we were afraid we couldn't, we were paralyzed um, in our ability to do anything or take him anywhere because we were just, we were always living in fear and scared. And you know what? These children have their limitations and I hate to say that, but it's just my only and honest way I can say it, but they treat their parents just like every child treats their parents. (laughs) They know instinctually I can get away with certain things with you than I can maybe a teacher or an authority figure or someone else. And I think he really knew what he could get away with, with us because 
you know, he knew how to work us over and, and we were stuck between a rock and a hard place. So that is what he does get from, you know, he gets a little bit more, he gets structure with kindness. He Ooh, gets like discipline <laughs> with, um, with compassion. And, and, uh, and that is something that I don't think we could have emotionally gotten over. Um, I, I love all of what you said. And also I think the fact that, you know, you, you visit frequently and yeah. um, he comes and visits at home. I think that what's nice about what you just described is that um, he, he, it's a situation that's, that you've created along with the team at Anderson. Um, and of course with Drew, where he gets all of it, right. He gets the structure he gets the best and, of all of us. and the discipline with compassion um, in his school setting and residentially. But when he comes home now, it's a much more, it, it's a much more like maybe the pressure's off a little bit. Like you don't have to do it all. Now it's okay to yeah. just say, yeah, this is your, your free time, your home. Oh, it's party you time. Can, you know, work us over all you want. True. <laughs> yeah, it's party it. time when he's home now, for sure. I'm sorry, Jim, we have to take a quick break. When we come back though, I want to, we're going to get into some of the specific ways that you've connected with the Anderson team, um, all to the, the continued growth over the last per, uh, three years for all of you. This is One in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've heard it said, he's a diamond in the rough. Or maybe diamonds are forever. Here's something else I've learned about diamonds. They're just pieces of coal put under pressure for a long, long, long time. So when I start feeling like I wanna give up, I think about that little piece of coal. And if that piece of coal can make something of itself by not giving up, so can I. Persistence is in you. From PassItOn.com. And now, 1 in 36 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski from Anderson Center for Autism, and I'm speaking this morning with Jen Caserta Priori, who is a uh, wonderful Anderson parent, has been for the last three years, just a little bit over that. Um, her son, Drew, has been with Anderson since May of 2018. And um, man, that kid has a beautiful smile. Uh, he's the best <laughs> smile in the world. I think, you know, he's, uh, there's more going on in that beautiful mind of his than anybody even realizes. And it all comes through in his smile and his eyes. 100%. Absolutely. We, uh, because we're the department that I, I oversee is the one who posts uh, pretty much all of the social media pictures. Um, and you've been kind enough to allow us to, to share pictures of Drew. When I will tell you, whenever there is a picture of Drew, there's this collective like, ah! <laughs> like he's a cutie patootie. So happy. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and doing the things that you were describing in the first half of the show, it'd be one of the things that it seems I think he likes to do is be in the kitchen. He, well, yes, he always likes to be in the kitchen because my boy takes after his mom and he loves to eat. Mm -hmm. So yes, he always finds, <laughs> seems to find his way in there. Yeah, and I love seeing them do things. They bake and mix and make smoothies. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just awesome. It's just awesome when I see those pictures. That's great. Well, we'll keep them coming. Um, so, so moving on to like a, a more recent conversation that you and I had, which was still a little while ago, but um pre-pandemic, when we could actually sit down and, and chat together in person, you really impacted me um, with what I'm going to start calling sort of best practices in uh, parent and to team member and team member to parent communication. Um, it's a tricky thing. And, and uh, when you take in the 
individual personalities of both, you know, the professional working at Anderson and the parent who's who's looking for communication, um, but could be coming at it in any sort of state of mind, emotionally, mentally, work-wise, scheduling-wise. Um, there's, there's so many layers to what goes into what we would call successful communication, bilateral communication. Um, and while, you know, everybody recognizes the importance of it, it doesn't, I think it's fair to say, it doesn't just happen. Yeah, right? you have to make it happen. You have to make it happen. Like so any relationship, it's work <laughs> and, 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 and time and commitment. So can you walk us through some of the things that you maybe did initially or and, and maybe some of the things that you've that it's evolved into? Because I think your your uh, communication strategies and, and um, your relationship that you've built with the team members who work with Drew is sort of a, to me, it's an example of, of, uh, of the, the best it, it really can get. So um, I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, I just think it's important. Uh, these, uh, first of all, everyone at Anderson has been amazing. The teachers, the administrators, the therapists, the nursing team. I speak to them very, uh, very often. Again, open lines of communication. The residents, the the place where he goes, which is his home away from home. That's where I spend m- much of my time communicating. Um, hopefully they um, don't mind my (laughs) annoyance. I try to be very mindful and very respectful of how hard their jobs are. But the first thing I wanted to do is know that when he's living in a home without me, that how he's, you know, what's going on and what's going about his day. If I even just get one nugget about what happened and occurred in his day, I just, first of all, I get overwhelmed and surprised with joy because it's usually something really joyful and great that I never imagined him doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also it just, it fills me in and it makes me feel very connected. I, um, I call or some way communicate with the team members at the residence often. First of all, they invite it. They don't have time for this and me. Mm-hmm. We, have a, we have a two minute conversation. They are so busy. They have such big jobs, but they make the time because they know how important it is for me to hear how he's doing. They have got through that communication. We're able to exchange things about Drew and insights that maybe educates them about him and his habits and his behaviors or historically what he's done. And I certainly learned things about him now because they're opening up to a, him to a whole new world mm-hmm. of opportunity. And I wanted to know about them. I wanted to know about who these people are, who are his family, his extended family when we're not there. And I have to tell you, they've become our family. We love them deeply. I mean, they are such amazing human beings. What they do for my son, I can now I'm going to get emotional. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Understood. What they do for my son is incredible. And I want to know them about their lives and, and their, um, you know, what they love and their hobbies and their kids and their significant others. And um, I just, I find so much joy connecting with them and knowing them as humans, besides just, you know, also people who work at the, um, at the place where my son gets his education and where he resides. Um, and it's been wonderful. And I, and I think we have um, a great rapport and I get so much out of it. Uh, but I, I can't say enough good things about, about them and their willingness to, to share with me. They're incredible people. Thank you for that, like that. So that's really where I wanted to kind of take this conversation to the, to the, for the next, you know, this next half of the show. Um, 
because I think that you you are able to uh, express the way that you've approached communication, first of all, in, in um, consistently with the rest of your, sort of your openness and your recognition of, you know, what's going on in your life and, and where, you know, where this whole journey started and where you're at. But also um, the thing that really stood out to me is your desire to know the people and know about the lives of the people who are with Drew when you're not. Um, I think a lot of times communication um, it's sort of it, it's sort of overlooked in a way that level of communication and and it's it, it becomes this right. thing about I want you know a report I want an update I want to know or on the other side I need to give I need to update I need to report but this is a different way of looking at it it's really about let's make communication an enjoyable experience for everybody yeah um, typically people like talking about what's going on in their lives. I certainly do, probably to the detriment of some of the people listening to me talk. <laughs> I mean, but, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really exciting. And, and I think that what you said before is that just like any other relationship, there's work that needs to go into it from all members of, who, you know, whoever is involved. So, so this is kind of a message I'm just going to shout out to the Anderson team members who might listen to this podcast is one of the things is, is that, um, to remember that everybody involved is, is human and is a person and has things yeah. going on in their lives, including you. Um, yeah. and so, and so sometimes just breaking down some natural barriers when there's sort of a, a professional relationship at, in the middle of this communication about remembering that it's okay to say, Oh, it's my child's birthday today. I'm so excited yeah. that that parent, that Anderson parent isn't necessarily going to say, I don't want to talk about that. That might make I love everybody it. at ease for a few minutes and a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. And it seems to me from what you've shared with me that those are some of the things um, that have worked well. I know for me and you, the fact that you introduced me um, with stories and pictures to your son, Dean, mm-hmm. makes me feel like I, I know you yeah. a little bit better. Um, yeah. We both have high schoolers now. Like that's kind of something that we can connect on. Um, and it makes... I think the rest of any type of communication that might be happening or necessary, even if it's not the nugget that brings you joy, even if it's a nugget that's like, he's not feeling well. Today. Oh, there's a lot of those. Yeah. He didn't have a great time at the doctor's office where we're awaiting test results and we're all waiting together. It pro- my guess is I'll ask you, does it make those times um, any easier? Yeah. It makes it more digestible. And yes, uh, I'm, I've been focusing a lot on his progress on Drew's progress. And there are, uh, still very difficult situations with someone who is nonverbal, a little boy who, when there's right help moments that involve health or frustration or, you know, you name it. Um, and we have a lot of them and you're right. The, the, the willingness to hear some of the tough stuff, um, is I think made easier for me because uh, this is, it's not, um, not just looking at it as, you know, professional worker to parent. Um, I know these people with more dimension. I know about their qualities. I've learned about their personalities. I think they've learned about me. Uh, I enjoy them all. And um, there's, you know, it just makes it more deep, the connection more deep. I know, you know, Brian loves music and, Sasha's favorite foods and Anne's and Stuart's kids. And, and we love to, we talk about it. I want to hear, I want to know that they're okay. Yeah. I want to know how they're feeling. Um, 
And I think I'll just say that I think on behalf of all the people you just named and the, those who who didn't get named but are all part of this team, I think the, the feeling is mutual. Um, when you feel that you're, first of all, we all know, especially that the direct support professionals and everybody at Anderson, but the direct support professionals specifically, they don't come to work just because it's their job and, and they're coming and going. There is so much more there in terms of um, why they come and why they uh, have continued to come every day through a pandemic where everything turned upside down for them. And then their, you know, their family safety and health and well-being also took on a different meaning when they're, you know, going to and from. Um, so I think it's, again, it's like a nice, really nice natural connection to realize that through communication, you can, you can send messages that are really clearly about, I recognize that you're doing more than you need to. Um, and thereby, I think that person feels cared for in a way that is different than, um, than their paycheck, than, than, you know, the benefits that, that maybe come with the position. There's another parent who has frequently talked to me about um, what she calls the second paycheck. And it's very much what you're talking about. It's all the other stuff. It's the thank yous. It's the recognition that these are professional people who are putting their all every day into what they do. Um, and so I, I want to thank you, Jen. We have to wrap up, unfortunately, but I want to thank you for shedding light today um, on the importance of, of bilateral communication, the importance of the effort and the time and the recognition that you're all, we're all humans and can connect on that level and should. Um, I think it, it hopefully will have an impact on, uh, on a lot more folks who are looking to develop that kind of relationship with their child's team members that you and, and Anthony have created. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you and to everybody at Anderson. Well, we appreciate, appreciate all you shared today, Jen. Uh, this is One in 36, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to One in 36, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism, celebrating their centennial in 2024. Join them for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.